Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It has been good here, good to be here, and I've been I've been encouraged so much already this morning. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to continue the series on prophecy, <clears throat> and if I can make this thing work here, all right. So. We're attempting to answer the question, what is prophecy? And specifically with, the, with the, the question in mind of what is prophecy today? What is this gift of prophecy that is talked about in the New Testament? And, and how, how do we understand this today? Um, I feel like it's a, it is a very pertinent subject in the church among us today. Um, I think this thing kind of comes and goes every generation, but in my generation, again, there's a lot of talk of prophecy and speaking prophecy. What is it? How do we understand it? And that's kind of the aim of, of this series. Um, I'm going about it the long way around, um, and we're spending a good bit of time looking at, at Old Testament and things leading up to the New Testament, but I, I just feel like it's so important to understand this stuff. So just briefly in review, last time we talked about, about types of prophets. Um, there was four types I talked about. There may be more in Scripture, but this is four types I saw. It was a quiet prophet, a mediator, a teacher, preacher, a worshiper. I'm sorry, there was five types. And then we talked briefly about a false prophet. Um, the second main thing I want you to remember was, was what made someone a true prophet. And in Deuteronomy... 18, 15 to 22 is, is the, the key verse there. It's, it's the criteria that God gives Israel back in Deuteronomy already, how they're supposed to know what a true prophet is. Um, just a few of the things mentioned there. He would come from their midst. He would have God's word. God would put his words in the prophet's mouth. He would be chosen by God. He would speak in the name of the Lord and what he prophesied prophesied would come to pass. And those are some of the things mentioned in that passage. This is how you're supposed to know a true prophet. Um, the third thing we talked about was the message of the prophets. And we focused primarily on the prophets retelling the covenant. The covenant was given by Moses, covenant and the laws, um, and there was a lot of details given there by Moses. And the prophets, we talked mostly about them retelling and, and that is a large, large part of their message. But there's several parts about, of their message that we did not talk about, or several parts, several things that we didn't talk about and I thought we should cover this morning. And so I'm going to turn this into three messages, and we're not going to get to the conclusion yet today. Um, today, I want to look at how God called the prophets. How did God anoint these men? How did he call them? We're going to briefly look at that. And, and then I want to look at the other part of the message of the prophets. We talked about the retelling. I want to look at the foretelling. And this was also a fairly large part of the message of the prophets. What did they foretell? You see God giving the ability to the prophets, well, it was his words, but to foretell a number of things. The coming judgment, and it was often, you know, for them right there and then, but there was also a future. 
And, and specifically, this morning, we're going to look at the foretelling of the Messiah, or the Redeemer that was to come. Many, many prophecies foretelling of the Redeemer. And so those are the two main things I want to look at this morning. What or how did God call the prophets? How did he anoint them? And what was the message? What, what did they foretell? If there's anything I want us to get this morning, there's two things I really want, want you to remember. When God anointed or chose a prophet, it was clear that, that there was no doubt as to who was calling him. There was no doubt, and we'll look at that some more. When God called or anointed a man to be his prophet, it was very clear who called him. When God spoke through a prophet and they prophesied or they foretold of something coming, specifically the future, it always came to pass, or will. There are some things that still need to come to pass. But if they prophesied, you see this again and again, it was fulfilled exactly as prophesied. And those are two really key points, and we're going to look at, at how, how these things play out this morning. How did God call the prophets? How did God anoint these men? In, in Acts 7, 2-4, you see Stephen saying that the glory of God appeared unto our father Abraham. Interesting. This was back when he was, was in Mesopotamia. This was before he was in Haran. And at that point, Abraham goes to Haran. And then you see in Genesis 12, God again telling him to get out of this land. Go to a land I'll, I'll show you, I'll promise to you. And then again in Genesis 17 and 18, very clear, God appears unto Abraham again. There's several instances here that God, Abraham was called. And I think if I'm understanding the language right, Every time God appeared unto him. That's how Abraham was called. A visible God. Um, scholars understand this differently, but, but I, I, think, I think you could say God in visible form. And whether that was Jesus or not, I think it's pretty clear. God in visible form called Abraham. That's how he, he was called. Moses, in Exodus 3.2, it says... The angel of the Lord appears to Moses out of the midst of the burning bush. I've always understood this story, or growing up, I heard that Moses saw a burning bush. But the text is really clear. An angel of the Lord appeared out of this bush. Again, if I understand it right, God in visible form, or as, we, as many understand it, Jesus appears to Moses and calls him. Specifically, it places a calling on Moses' life. Again, later in Exodus 33, um, when God gives him the law, it, and, and throughout, actually throughout Moses' life a number of times, you see God talking to Moses as a friend. I think it's visible form. God very clearly calls Moses. In 1 Samuel 3, uh, 1 to 10 there, you see the calling placed on, Mo on Samuel's life. Actually, turn with me to, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3. <clears throat> and, and you see there, I'm going to jump around in this passage just a little bit. In verse 3, so chapter 3, verse 3, 
And ere the lamp of God went out in the, in the temple of the Lord where the ark was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. So it was evening, he lays down to sleep. The next several verses you see him, him being called, him being called, and he responds, he runs to Eli. And let's jump in at verse 8 again. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, it shall be if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Note with me verse 10. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. My opinion, the language is pretty clear here. God appeared, God in visible form appears to, Mo, to, I mean, to Samuel and gives him a calling. How did God call other prophets? <clears throat> in 1 Kings 17.2, you see the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. As Isaiah 1 and 2 there, you see the word of the Lord coming to Isaiah in a vision. <clears throat> Jeremiah, <clears throat> Jeremiah 1, 2 to 9, the word of the Lord appears unto Jeremiah in visible form. And it's pretty clear, again, in this text, because he reaches out. At one point, it says he reaches out and touches Jeremiah's lips. That sounds like visible form to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. That's how he was called. <clears throat> Actually, let me just read Jeremiah 1.9. It says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. That's how Jeremiah was called. <clears throat> in Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, you see the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. And if I understand this language right, and you see this in a lot of the prophets, if I understand this language right throughout the Old Testament, not, not every time, but, but often, often, when you hear this language of the word of the Lord came unto, it, it often means visible form. It refers to, in my opinion, Jesus coming to these men and, and giving them a calling. And I think, I think I'm understanding this right. John reinforces this idea when he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of the Lord. That's how many of these men were called. <clears throat> Habakkuk was given a burden, and it's unclear as to how, but it seems as if, if, if it was through a vision. Malachi was given a burden from the Word of the Lord. I think I'm right in saying, I, sh I should have looked at every one of them, but I looked at most of them. I think I'm right in saying that every prophet in Scripture had a very specific calling from God. Very specific. Very, it wasn't a doubt as to whether God had placed or anointed, had placed a calling on their life or anointed them for a specific purpose. <clears throat> when, when God called a prophet, it was clear. And it was a direct calling placed on his life. 
Um, in most cases, he appears to them either in visible form or in a vision. And there's maybe a few other ways of calling, but those are the two most common. And there was just no doubt it was God calling. It was God calling. God placing that calling on their life. And then always following, they were given direct words to speak. Direct words to speak to the people and to prophesy. You know, I, I've pondered on this for quite a while. You know, God doesn't need to use people to speak. God really doesn't need to. He doesn't need to use people. But for whatever reason, throughout Scripture and in history, we see that God, God chooses to use these men chooses to speak through them. And you see God calling, God calling holy men, men that he set apart to speak his word to his people. And that's it's consistent throughout scripture. <clears throat> Let's look at, at some of these things that he told his prophets to prophesy, or some of these men that were called clearly by God and they prophesied about things. And we're going to specifically look, when we look at the foretelling, we're going to look at prophecy of, of the Messiah and just spend a little bit of time going through some of these prophecies. And, and um, I found this exercise to be very, very faith-building. And, and that's my prayer for each one this morning. <clears throat> prophecy of the Messiah. It was fulfilled, you'll find it was fulfilled in exact detail, exact detail, every single one. And, and there's only one man in history, in the, in the whole history of the world, that has, has explicit details given of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection that I know of. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say that very confidently. There's only one man. And, and these details can be found in in scripture or in, in documents that they were given to the public centuries before it came to pass. This wasn't written as it was happening, as many of them sound like actually. This was written centuries before. And no one, no one can challenge that, that, that these were widely circulated years before his birth. This was not, this was not, it's still to this day not something that's really challenged. It can't be. I think it's incredibly, it, it, it's, it's so incredible that, that Jesus' very ancestry, his birth time, his forerunner, birthplace, birth manner, infancy, manhood, teaching, character, career, preaching, reception, rejection, death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension were all written about very clearly centuries before. Centuries before, before he was even born. And, and I want us to, to think about and, and understand that surely no one, no one but God can foretell that. There's absolutely no way. God can, only, only God can foreknow that and foretell that. <clears throat> and, and you see that Getting ahead of myself here, you, can, you see that Second Peter speaks to that very clearly. Second Peter 1, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men, set apart men of God, 
spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Just a, a random side note here. Um, before John the Baptist came, and then Jesus' time, there, before that, there was over 400 years of silence. There was no prophet among God's people. And, and you see, if, if you read the book of the Maccabees, they actually write about this intense, a number of places, this intense longing for the coming again of a prophet among their pe- the people. Because all through their history, Many times they had a prophet and, and would speak God's word to them, and they were desiring this. They had an intense longing for this to be again in, among them. And, you know, as much as they desired a prophet among them, for some reason, God chose not, during that time period, not to have a prophet among them. And I don't, I don't understand that. <clears throat> but, but it's very clear that all through history you see God choosing when and through whom he would speak. It did not come about by man's wishes. It did not come about by man's wishes. <clears throat> you, you will find there is just, I can't get this point across enough today, there is there's no variation or no difference between Old Testament predictions of the coming of Messiah and the, full, the fulfillment of in Jesus Christ. And if you find one, I, I stand to be corrected, but I don't think you will. And, and it's, it, it's just impossible by man, or man unaided by divine inspiration, without divine inspiration to foreknow that kind of future, to be able to foretell that kind of thing. And yet the prophets did by God, by God's direction. <clears throat> And only God can infallibly predict future like that. Um, there's a book that <clears throat> Floyd let me borrow called The Prophets Still Speak by Fred, Fred Maldahl. Um, highly encourage it, actually. It, he, it's mostly scripture, but he just very systematically goes through prophecy, prophecy of Jesus and its fulfillment. But he writes in this book, If one can find true prophecy as one does in the Bible with proven fulfillment, sufficient time intervening between the prophecy and the fulfillment, explicit details in the prediction to ensure that it's not just clever guesses, then the case is perfect, and we know it's true prophecy. Let's spend a little bit of time now looking at at some of these prophecies and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to look at, we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at five main categories. Prophecies that prove Jesus' credentials as the Messiah, prophecies foretelling of his birth, prophecies about his life, his ministry, prophecies relating to his death, and then prophecies speaking to his resurrection. So, right away in Genesis, you see God eliminating half of the human race as a possible immediate parent to the Messiah. And he says very clearly, you will, the Messiah will come from the seed of a woman. You don't have to go very long, and then you see God eliminating two-thirds of the nations by indicating that the Messiah must come through Noah's son, Shem. And in Genesis 9 there, 26 and 27, in, in the earlier writings, Hebrew and some of those writings, it, it, comes very, it comes a lot through a lot more clearly. 
in the text that this was a prophecy about the Messiah. Still later, you see God eliminating all the nations of the world except for one when he calls out Abraham and makes, makes him a nation through which all the nations of the world would be blessed. And you see that, that, bless, or that promise in Genesis 12, 1 and 2. And this blessing actually gets repeated a number of times through Abraham's life. Um, interesting, in, in Galatians 3, 7 and 8 there, it says, Abraham knew of the gospel or, or the good news of Jesus Christ long before it came to pass. God told him about this. Abraham had two sons, but you see it was narrowed down to one of them, Isaac, through which the promised Messiah would come. Isaac, again, has two sons. And so, again, it's narrowed down and clearly prophesied that Jacob was the one through whom the promise would come. Jacob has 12 sons. Again, there's clear prophecy Clear prophecy pointing to who, through whom the Messiah would come. And the tribe of Judah was clearly chosen. Out of the thousands of families in the tribe of Judah over the t- that time period, you see one family specifically chosen. The family of Jesse. And that's prophesied in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Jesse has had eight sons. And so again, there's another divine choice and prophecy foretelling that Jesse's son, David, is the one through whom the Messiah would come. And you know, during the Bible times, the Jews, the Jews could trace their genealogy. This, it's incredible. Um, actually, in 1 Chronicles, it talks about this, that all Israel was reckoned by genealogies. They, they, they knew who, where they came from very clearly. Um, and these records were generally kept in, in, in the cities. It was a public property that people could look at. And one of the reasons for this was when they came into the land of Canaan, you know, they inherited a specific land. And while that land could be sold and you know, exchanged, when the year of Jubilee came, it all, got, it, it all got taken or given back to the original owner. And so in many ways, this, this was their title or their deed to their land, these records. It was very important. They had monetary reasons to, to preserve these genealogical records. And history tells us that these records were very, very carefully kept until AD 70, when, when Jerusalem and the temple and the Jewish state was, was completely destroyed. Um, and that was not long after Jesus came. During Jesus' life, I don't, I think I'm pretty clear in saying that no, I'm pretty, I think I'm right in saying no one offered to dispute the well-known fact that, that Jesus was from David. He was of the line of David because it was public records. They could go back and look. They could check this out. But after AD 70, when many of these public records got destroyed or confused, there was no pretending Messiah that could have proved that he was the son of God, or he was the son of David, as prophecy demands. <clears throat> the Messiah had to come before A.D. 70. 
for clear proof, for clear fulfillment of all these prophecies. And you see this in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, right away, in, in the defense of Jesus. He starts, Matthew 1, he says, he was the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then he very carefully in detail lists the generations until Jesus. It's Matthew's, it's Matthew very carefully pointing to the irrefutable fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of specific prophecy spoken many years before. When God speaks through the prophets, there is never error. You see absolute accuracy. Even though, even though many years and different prophets are used to speak. Many years and different prophets are used to speak. There's still absolute accuracy. Let's look at prophecy foretelling Jesus' birth. You see God choosing a specific place for the birth of the Messiah. In Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose going forth hath been from of old, from everlasting. You see the prophet Micah pinpointing an obscure little village on the map of the world. And, and the scribes and the, the priests and the scribes knew this prophecy very well. When Herod, when Herod questions or demands to know where the Christ would be born, they knew right where he was supposed to be born. And I, I was just struck again with how amazing God in his providence works this out. Exactly as prophesied many, many years before. <clears throat> Isaiah speaks or foretells of the Messiah coming from a virgin, clearly prophesied many, many years before, an impossibility in, in human mind. But God gave this to Isaiah, and he prophesied this accurately. Isaiah 9.6 speaks of his incarnation. Again, an impossibility in human mind, clearly spoken of, years before. <clears throat> Jesus perfectly fulfills a number of prophecies about who he would be and from whom he would come. Um, the seed of a woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of God, the son of man, and from the line of David. And, and again, these, con these prophecies look like they contradict each other. Um, but they were clearly foretold many years, many years before, and Jesus miraculously fulfills them all very clearly. And we can look back today and say, wow. <clears throat> Let's look at prophecy that told of his life and his ministry. Um, in Hosea 1, 1, he says, I will call my son out of Egypt. And again, he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. There's a, there's a prophecy, and I don't actually know where this prophecy is found, where it talks about he would be called a Nazarene. Um, they talk about it. It's talked about in the scriptures, but I couldn't find it in the Old Testament, so maybe I, I didn't look hard enough. Um, again, 
How's this to be? But you see it working out perfectly. Jesus fulfilled that perfectly. In Isaiah 11, 2-5, speaks of his righteous character. Um, and it talks about the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him in a manner far above any other man. And, and for sake of time, I, I have passages there at the end of each one that show the fulfillment, very clear fulfillment of this. Um, for sake of time, because we're in a hurry, I need to keep moving. Isaiah 40, 11 says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And, and this is clearly, you can see, clearly see this kind of compassion and tenderness through Jesus' life and, and fulfillment in his life and his ministry. Um, Zechariah 9, 9 is another really interesting one. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the full of an ass. Very clearly speaking of when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on an ass. And, and it talks about his, him being just and lowly. These things were all perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53.9 speaks about, speaks about him being without violence and deceit, um, indicating a blameless outward life and an innocent inner, inner life. Psalms 82, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. This is speaking about Jesus many years before. Look at his teachings. This is exactly how he taught. We have a number of prophecies that, that foretell Jesus' miracles. Um, in Isaiah 6, 61, 1 to 3, and Isaiah 35, 4 to 6, those are two. I think there's a few more. Um, actually, let's turn to Isaiah 35. I think we have time for that. Isaiah 35. <clears throat> and I'll read 4 to 6. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Speaks a number of Jesus' miracles <clears throat> while he was here on this earth. And, and the miracles of Je that Jesus did were very well known in his generation. And Peter, in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, uses these miracles. At one point, he points back and says, you've seen these things. You know them. People knew them. They were well known. And he uses the reality of Jesus' miracle-working ministry as proof that he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. And there's, there's quite a few more prophecies that speak of the Messiah's perfect character, perfect nature, and his ministry. There's quite a few more, and I, for sake of time, I'm, we're not going to look at them. I do want to read a few chapters, or not chapters, a few paragraphs um, out of this book. The prophets still speak. There's a few ch chapters here that, or paragraphs, I'm sorry, that 
that just make it really clear, word it very well. As was foretold throughout the Old Testament scriptures, when the Messiah did come, he possessed the perfect character. He was Jesus the Christ. Christ's perfectly poised character was not unbalanced by eccentricities or human foibles, be just human weaknesses. His perfections were not tainted by pride, nor was his wisdom marred by an occasional bit of folly. His equity was not twisted by prejudice, nor was his justice adulterated by selfish whims. He had a becoming dignity, dignity which was happily blended with his gracious humility. He had concern for others without worry, zeal without fretfulness, patience without dilatoriness. I think that's just procrastination. Tact without dishonesty and frankness without rudeness. His authority was balanced and blended with gentleness and patience. He never had to admit defeat, retract a statement, offer an apology, change his teachings, confess a sin or a mistake, or ask advice. He never lost his temper or spoke rashly. He was never bested in an argument. He always had the right answer, the will and word of God. He went about doing good, prayed much, gave God the glory and thanks in all things, and had no interest in the accumulation of material things. He lived and died in poverty, yet he never lacked until his time of suffering on the cross. His miracles were all beneficent, never for vain glory. He was the perfect teacher and lived what he taught. He was in the truest sense the son of man, yet he was not one of us, for he never sinned. He was from above and not from the earth. He was the unique son of God. No other man was like this man. He never made a claim to supernatural power or prerogative without performing a miracle to prove it. He who said, I am the light of the world, also opened the eyes of the man born blind. He who said, I am the resurrection and the life, proved that these sober words of truth, these were sober words of truth by raising Lazarus from the dead. He who said, I am the bread of life, gave evidence that he was all he claimed to be by performing the miracle of feeding the 5,000 from five loaves and two fishes. And he goes on. It's just a, a glimpse of just, just the awesomeness and the perfection of Jesus, his life, and his ministry. And it's all foretold many, many years before. Let's look at, at prophecy of Jesus' death. Just a few here. Zechariah 11, 12, and 13 foretell of the cost or the value that they would place on Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. He very clearly foretells of this. In Isaiah 53, 7, he would suffer great personal wrong done to him without complaining to God or to man. Zechariah 13, 6, the Messiah was to be wounded in the house of his friends or among his people. He was wounded among his people. Psalm 22, 16 is a really interesting one. His hands and his feet would be pierced. And, and uh, crucifixion was not something that, if I'm right, was not known in, in David's day. This was a Roman-Grecian custom that was, Israel would not have experienced or known until in the time of captivity. 
not long before, before Jesus' time. And yet, in fact, yeah, the Jews would have, they would have killed their criminals by stoning. That's how God told them to do. And yet, David foretold years ahead, very specifically, how, God would, how Jesus would die. And, and it didn't make sense. I wonder how much it made sense at this time, because that was not how they, they, were, they killed Isaiah 52 is another really interesting passage. It's full of prophecy of what Jesus would experience at his death. And, and this chapter is written, I think it's 700 plus years before, before Jesus. But it so accurately depicts Jesus' suffering and, and then the glory to follow that it's, it's, said, it's actually been said about both of these passages, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 52 and 53, that, that they read as if they've been written beneath the cross of Golgotha. They've written as if someone was watching what happened. It's the beauty of true prophecy. Turn with me to Isaiah 52, if you will. Isaiah 52, 14. And many were astonished at, at the, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And as we read of his experiences in the New Testament, of, of how his, his suffering and his death, you know, the horrible scour- scourging, or scourging which, which turned people into, into a bleeding pulp many times, um, the beating, the spitting, the buffeting, the crown of thorns, you read of, of how he experienced all these things, and then think of the agony he was exper- <clears throat> experiencing as, as the nails go through his hands and his feet, and, and then the, to add to this the mental agony of, of the sins, of our sins being placed on him, and the soul suffering he was experiencing. I, 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 think, it, I think it was pretty clear, as prophesied here in Isaiah, that he became so marred and so distorted more than any man, it says. More, he was marred more than any man. Very clearly prophesied many years before. And yet, despite this kind of prophecy and, and the horrendousness of his treatment or his, his suffering, Psalm 34, fascinating verse, he keepeth all his bones and not one of them is broken. How's that possible? God knew this. God foretold this. And you see it miraculously worked out in Jesus' suffering and death. There's no way that, that this was man's knowledge. Different prophets, different people speaking, foretelling of exactly how the Messiah would suffer. It's not possible by man's knowledge. It was clearly God, and it was fulfilled exactly as spoken. The beauty of true prophecy. Let's look a little bit at prophecy of Jesus' resurrection. Isaiah 52, 13 speaks of his death, his, his resurrection, his ascension, and finally his exaltation. And it's, it's a pretty short verse there, but study that verse sometime and look into it a little bit. Beautiful. There's a lot there. Isaiah 53, 10. 
I'm going to read that. And yet it pleased the Lord to, actually, this is the last part of the verse. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Speaks of, of him seeing his seed, his spiritual children, and the idea of him prolonging his days. Speaks of his resurrection from the dead. Psalm 1610 speaks, uh, let me just read it. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. And the word there is Sheol, the place of the dead. Neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And this is, again, as mentioned before, this is just a few, just a few of the prophecies. I really hope that this, this short exercise, that little bit of a journey that I took you on, of very briefly looking at prophecy being fulfilled um, it inspires you to go home and, and look into this more. I think there's, well, there's, there's hours and, and maybe months of studying that you could do just on looking at prophecies about Jesus and their fulfillment. Do it sometime or begin to do it sometime. And that's my hope today is that you look into this more. There's, there's tremendous value in, in knowing these prophecies and knowing how Jesus fulfilled them. Um, tremendous value. Have you ever thought about it? What was it the apostles preached? What was it the apostles preached? And I'm thinking specifically at the beginning. You see in Acts, some of the things they preached. A number of other times... What was some of the things they said? I'm open, I'll open it up a little bit. What? Death and resurrection. Yeah. Talked about Joel's prophecy about people prophesying. Yeah, and it goes on and on, and those things are all covered. There's, I think if you sum it up, a lot of their, especially their early messages, was them, them sharing the good news that Jesus, Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies. And look at it. They spend quite a bit of time going back and saying, look at this prophecy. That, Jesus did that. And, and you see that in the Gospels. They, when they wrote, they very, thoroughly, they very thoroughly defended that Jesus Christ fulfilled these, these prophecies. You see them proving his credentials as the Messiah by going back to prophecy. Look, look, yeah, look at their teaching in Acts. Um, a number of places they explain how Jesus fulfilled the prophets, how this was fulfilled. And in, in doing that, they pointed people to Jesus. They pointed him to repentance. They pointed him to the cross. They, point, or they pointed people to the cross, to the new covenant. There was, there was a lot involved there. But it, it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. And this was an exciting revelation to many. When, when Peter stands up and says, and he's very clear that Jesus fulfilled all this, and that his first message there, this was an exciting revelation to many. And I think they understood it, and many were saved. Many were saved. I think it should still be an exciting revelation for us today. The, the, the prophecy of the Messiah and then seeing the fulfillment in Jesus today changes lives. It really changes lives. And the, the apostles understood this. They understood the power of, of believing in Jesus and following after him. 
the grace that is experienced, the life-changing power and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit that comes with it. And, and they, the apostles very passionately preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It says it a number of times in the New Testament. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and they very clearly wrote about it in the, or in, the, in the gospels as well. This message still speaks today and still changes lives today. And I want us to, to grasp that. Um, in closing here, I have a question for you to think about. How much do you desire a word? How much do you desire a word? Or you could say a prophecy from the Lord today. How much? This isn't a trick question. I'm, uh, you don't need to answer it. But I think if, if we're really honest as humans, we really desire to hear from God. We do, right? Is that a wrong desire? I, I, I challenge you today with that expectation to open up, to open up the Holy Scriptures, to open up prophecy, true prophecy. It's sure prophecy. With that expectation, look at God's inspired words. I don't think he'll leave you hanging. We see very clearly in 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20, where it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do, ye do well that ye take heed. He's talking about scripture. A, very, a more sure word of prophecy. And in Hebrews 4.12, you see it's alive, it's sharp, it's quick. I think we can accurately say today that, that, that God's word is one of the primary instruments he uses to convict the world of sin, to point sinners to the Savior, and to conform believers into the image of their Lord. And that includes prophecy. We're looking at Old Testament prophecy. We're looking at the New Testament. It, it is all a beautiful picture of God's inspired word that speaks to us today. It, it should speak to us today. Um, I think we'll close with that. My, my prayer is for us as a church that, that we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this living word, for this prophecy.